What is up, you guys? Welcome to another edition of Controversial Thoughts. This week, I wanted to talk about animal-based diets in kids. I will start off this Controversial Thoughts episode with a disclaimer that I do not have children, but I have nieces and nephews, and I have a sister who has children. And I want to make these statements based on what I might recommend for them or what I might recommend for my own children in the future should I have them. None of this is meant to be medical advice, nor would I ever presuppose or try to tell parents what to feed their kids. This is just meant to be helpful and my opinion about how appropriate or not an animal-based diet might be for kids. I got a message recently on Instagram from someone asking, what should I feed my baby? What might the first foods for a child be after breast milk? And this got me thinking about this question. If we take any indication from hunter-gatherer tribes like the Hadza, who I have observed, uh, meat and organs and fruit are often the first foods given to babies, not rice cereal or wheat cereal like we do in the States. In fact, I don't have any idea why those are the first foods given to infants here in the United States. So from my perspective at the outset, I will say that I think an animal-based diet consisting of meat, organs, and the least toxic plant foods, namely fruit, uh, we have to be careful with children under one years old, specifically, that's a caveat to this whole discussion, I think are great foods for young, tiny humans, those being six months old beyond, once they've stopped breastfeeding. I think that the first recommendation that I would give my sister for her children, or that I would hope to institute in my own children would be breastfeed for as long as possible, and make sure that mom's nutrition while she's breastfeeding during pregnancy, and even preconception is ideal. How can you get ideal preconceptive nutrition. I think we're back to a standard animal-based diet here. Meat in moderate to quote unquote large by today's societal standard amounts, organs, either fresh or desiccated like we make it hard in soil, least toxic plant foods, that being fruit and honey for adequacy of calories for mom, preconception, postconception during the pregnancy, and then postpartum while she's breastfeeding. Again, these are my recommendations based on my own experience, the experience of my clients, my own research, and my observations of hunter-gatherer tribes. I'll let you guys all make your own decisions, but there are now tens of thousands of testimonials at the hardensoil.co website, or at least hundreds there, and tens of thousands that I've received and that we've received at Hardened Soil talking about how this type of diet works. It's very similar to a paleolithic diet, a paleo diet, with some important differences. I've talked about this before, so I won't belabor the point. These are specifically a lack of quote-unquote vegetables, which I would consider to be the more toxic parts of plants, leaves, stems, seeds, seeds, and things like roots, and a preponderance or an emphasis on meat and organs. Most Paleolithic diets don't talk about organs at all, and I think this is a massively excluded thing from uh, these type of diets. I've also discussed recommendations for macros, which I did on a previous Controversial Thoughts video, in fact, the one from last week, I broke this down. And if you email us, radicalhealth at hardandsoil.co, we're happy to send you an infographic with a breakdown of macros. In short, I think an animal-based diet might be thought of as one gram of protein per pound of body weight or goal body weight if you're trying to lose weight. This is a lot more protein than most people are eating, but I think it's an ideal space for most humans who are looking to thrive and build muscle because we know muscle is critical for strength, longevity, management of glucose, and resilience against injury and something that allows you to do the things you want to do, whether it's yoga, surfing, base jumping, rock climbing, or salsa dancing. 
Muscle is critical for all of that. And I think getting enough protein gets you all of the nutrients that come with that protein and helps you maintain that muscle mass with a good muscle anabolic stimulus, especially when you're getting all that protein in the morning or in your first meal of the day. Yet another reason I'm not a fan of waiting till later in the day to begin your meals, but that's for a second controversial thoughts or another one in the future. So back to kids. Why do we try and force kids to eat vegetables? I can remember so many instances of my childhood where I literally was kicking and screaming. I even vomited in a bowl of pea soup once that my parents, I love you guys, my parents, mom and dad, I love you, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, I don't fault you for this, but they were trying to force me to eat a bowl of pea soup that I'm sure my mom had worked diligently on, but I just didn't like it. And I literally vomited in this bowl of pea soup that I was being forced to consume. Who knows if that was my psychology, I didn't like it, or something in my body was just saying, hey, we don't want all of these legumes. We don't want all these peas in this pea soup. I'm sure that there were many other fights that I had with my parents. Um, thankfully, I think my sister has avoided many of these fights with her kids because she feeds them mostly an animal-based diet of meat, desiccated organ supplements from hardened soil, and fruit, which most kids love. So I think that so much of the consternation could be avoided at dinner tables across the United States, North America, the world, if we ask the question, why are we forcing children to eat so many vegetables? The obvious answer is because they're nutrient rich. But I think most of my work has called that into question. Are there really unique things in vegetables, that being leaves, stems, roots, and seeds of plants that we can't get from meat, organs, and fruit? Things that are much less likely to have plant toxins, especially the fruit and honey, right? Much more bioavailable and contain unique nutrients. I would say there's not. And that's kind of been the main controversial thought that I've been talking about for years now that I talked about in my book, my upcoming cookbook, which is now available on Amazon if you want to pre-order it. It's called the Carnivore Code Cookbook. And um, with our kids, I think we need to ask this specifically. Why are we forcing them to eat spinach and broccoli and cauliflower and green things that they don't really want to eat. If you think about our taste as humans, the bitter taste that most of these vegetables have, unless they are really cooked or drenched in ketchup, imagine that. If you have to force your kids to eat vegetables by drenching them in ketchup, you're kind of changing their innate mechanisms of taste and you're tricking them into eating something that they don't want to eat. The bitter taste that humans have evolved is a mechanism to detect toxins, to detect poisons. How many of these foods are very bitter when we eat them uncooked? Unless you drench them in salad dressing, salads are pretty bitter. Why would we do this as humans? But <clears throat> there's actually some research to suggest that this is the case in addition to my observations, my observations with the Hadza, et cetera. Just briefly, I'll say that the Hadza feed their children meat. They feed their children fruit when they have it. They, the kids don't end up getting a lot of honey because that's mostly the Bushmen who go out in the bush, which is probably a good thing. We do have some concerns, at least in the medical literature, of children less than one years old eating raw honey due to clostridial spores, so be careful of that. But kids are eating fruit and meat and organs in the Hadza camps. And if you've listened to my other work, you'll know that in general, the Hadza pattern is not to eat vegetables. It's not to eat leaves or stems or seeds of plants unless they don't have more valuable foods, more preferable foods like fruit, honey, or a killed animal. So again, we'll ask, what is the research looking at child's preference? Well, there's a really interesting article from the 1930s by Clara M. Davis, who was a doctor in Winnetonka, excuse me, Winnetka, Illinois. And I'll show you guys the study. It's really the only one I've ever found of its kind. The title, Results of the Self-Selection of Diets by Young Children. 
They looked at kids from six to 12 months, excuse me, six to 11 months of age, and they were weaning age, and they had never had supplements of ordinary foods of the adult life, right? So this age was chosen because only at this age could we have individuals who had neither had experiences of such foods, nor could have been influenced by the ideas of older persons, and so would be without preconceived prejudices and biases with regard to them. These are kids who had never had food other than breast milk. You can see the type of foods that they fed them. And basically they gave them all of these foods at every meal and the kids were allowed to self-select. Water, sweet milk, sour milk, sea salt, uh, apples, bananas, orange juice, pineapple, peaches, tomatoes, beets, carrots, peas, turnips, cauliflower, cabbage, spinach, potatoes, lettuce, oatmeal, wheat, cornmeal, barley, rye crisp, beef, lamb, bone marrow, bone jelly, chicken, sweetbreads, which would be something like pancreas and thymus, brains, liver, kidneys, and fish. I just want to stop and say that it's freaking amazing that in the 1930s, they gave six to 11 year olds these, these organ meats. If we really believe we've lost things, this is what I talk about with the remembering and the corollary concept of the forgetting. Here's an illustration of that. Less than a hundred years ago, it was common to consider as a medical researcher that you might offer kids all of the organs and let them select. This is not something we do much today, which is another reason that I built hardened soil. I knew that neither my mom nor my sister would eat liver, would eat these foods, and certainly her kids would not if she was not. So we built hardened soil. And now we make grass-fed, grass-finished, regeneratively raised, desiccated organ supplements to get as close to this type of ethos as possible so that she can still offer her son and daughter some organs. If you read this paper, it's quite interesting. It was a six-year study. Um, they had 15 children they observed uh, over that time. They looked at the adequacy of self-chosen diets judged by nutritional laws and standards. And um, they looked at contributions made by the study to the understanding of appetite and how it functions. What you'll find if you read this is pretty fascinating. They don't exactly break down what the infants ate day to day, but they do make some important observations. During convalescence, that is during periods when these children were sick, they ate unusually large amounts of raw beef, something that would never be fed to kids today, carrots and beets. That's quite interesting. The demand for increased amounts of raw beef and carrots can easily be accounted for, but we are still curious about that for beets and inclined to whether they may furnish some anti-anemic substance, perhaps iron, they're saying. Who knows? The beets were eaten by all in much larger quantities in the first six months or year after weaning than ever again, save after colds and acute glandular fever. So something going on there with beets, who knows? I'm not a huge fan of beets because of the oxalates, but the kids selected beets when they were sick in addition to beef. So two points there. The kids do eat some roots, but they're definitely going for meat when they're sick. There was one child who had, uh, or actually one or two with severe rickets. That is a bone issue having to do with vitamin D deficiency. They offered this child a little bit of cod liver oil and the child was able to regulate their calcium and phosphorus levels by eating the cod liver oil when they wanted to. I'm not a fan of cod liver oil in general. I think it's mostly oxidized, but isn't it interesting, the point that I'm making here is that young children are really good at self-selecting for what they need if they haven't been influenced. I think there are other ways to get kids plenty of vitamin D, like put them in the sun and give them other nutrients from animal foods. But in this case, they allowed the kids to self-select with cod liver oil. Now, later on in the paper, they talk about the quantity of foods. They look at the calories. The kids always ate enough calories. No surprise there. They looked at the acidity and alkalinity of the diets, and they found that these were pretty balanced. In fact, one child ate um, a balance of acid and alkaline foods, meaning meat, 
being typically acidic. I think I've done a controversial thoughts on this. This is a little bit simplified concept, but um, they say that in diets of the other 14, there was a preponderance of the potentially alkaline in every six month period. So they were saying that in these children, they were eating uh, more plant foods or more of the alkaline foods than they were the animal foods, which is interesting. They give a breakdown here of the protein, 17% protein, 35% fat, and 48% uh, carbohydrate for these kids was the average. The protein of the diets was in every case, this is a very important point, the highest biological value having been predominantly derived from such animal sources as milk, eggs, liver, kidney, and muscle meats. I want to emphasize that. I'll read it again. The protein of the diets was in every case of the highest biological value, having been predominantly derived from such animal sources as milk, eggs, liver, kidney, and muscle meats. These are children self-selecting milk, eggs, liver, kidney, and muscle meats for their protein source. This is fascinating. To me, it means that as humans, we are built in to understanding that these foods are central to our development and essential for human life. And I think this is a fantastic argument to make these foods, milk, eggs, liver, kidney, and muscle meats, some of the first foods that children eat when they wean from breastfeeding, which I think should go on as long as possible, as I mentioned earlier. Now, but to the extent to which essentiality, the essentially energy furnishing fats and carbohydrates, interchangeable nutrition, few authorities make any allocation of the remaining 83%. The average distribution from these diets as a group, fat 35%, carbohydrate 48% differs, but slightly from that advocated by Rose, which who I believe was another nutritional advocate at the time. But we see moderate amount of protein, 35% fat, 50% carbohydrate, something like that. Now, in the macros that I had suggested, these might be slightly different. I think I would have reversed these for adults, um, but you can see what works for you. I had suggested maybe fat should be closer to 50 and carbohydrates should be a little bit lower, but these are pretty close and you can modify these macros based on what works for you. These kids are not eating as much protein as I would recommend for an adult. They're eating between, um, I think, 12 to 20% with about 17% being the average. I would recommend something a little bit higher, like 25 to 30% of your calories from protein to get one gram per pound of body weight. But maybe kids are a little different. They don't need quite as much, but they're selecting it from the highest uh, sources. Now, interestingly here, they found that all of the nutritional adequacy was met by these diets. And they said that, um, in fact, the quantities of fresh fruit, carrots, and potatoes, and of eggs, liver, and kidneys in practically all the diets preclude on the basis of their known vitamin content, any shortage of the vitamins A, B, C, and G. We don't really have vitamin G today. And as a historical fact, we could go back and see what they were talking about though. For the accuracy in vitamin D and calcium in the diets, children who took none or little milk for considerable periods, we cannot speak so surely from an offhand consideration of the quantity of foods eaten. But they looked at x-rays and all of the kids, even the kids who did not eat a lot of milk, had adequate calcification of bones. I would say this is almost certainly because of the amount of vitamin K2 in their diet and utilization of calcium in the meat and other organs or fruit that they were eating or other vegetables if they were eating small amounts of those in their diet. So maybe we don't need to be feeding kids tons of cow's milk after they wean from breastfeeding. This is another controversial topic that I think is quite fascinating to consider. These kids, for instance, who didn't select a lot of milk ended up with perfectly good x-rays. Moving on. So they found here that um, 
and this is super important. They say that all 15 diets were a little different. For every diet differed from every other diet, 15 different patterns of taste being presented. And not one diet was the predominantly cereal and milk diet with smaller supplements of fruit, eggs, and meat that is commonly thought proper for this age. This is exactly what pediatricians today would recommend for kids. Milk, cereal grains, smaller amounts of fruit. Not one diet was like that out of these 15 that they selected. They tended to, to choose meat, eggs, organs, and fruit. This is what these kids opted for. And if any of you have children, you will know this is the case. Put a plate of vegetables on them with fruit, they'll go for the fruit. How often do you have to force your kids to eat fruit? Strawberries, bananas, blueberries. Kids love fruit, it's sweet. And how often do you have to force your kids to eat hamburgers if you don't overcook them? <laughs> or meat that has a little bit of fat in it. They love these foods. I think this is all so apparent that the foods that children go after are the same foods that we prefer as adults. Meat, organs, if we're acculturated to them, and if not, we still benefit from them, again, which is why desiccated organs are so valuable. And then fruit, things that are sweet. We generally don't want things that are bitter. So I found this super interesting. All of the articles on the list, except lettuce by two and spinach by one, were tried by all. Two kids out of the 15 didn't even touch the lettuce. They knew, that's garbage. Why would I eat that silly leaf? And then one didn't even touch spinach. The others would try all of them and then move toward the ones that were much more uh, palatable and enjoyable with fervor once they had trialed all of them. So the kids do all of this experimentation on their own. It's a quite interesting thing. But I found that study to be so interesting from almost 100 years ago, suggesting that the mainstream recommendations for kids, which are not that much different than the mainstream recommendations for kids today, were not selected by any of the children in the study. That meat was preferred as a protein source when they were sick in much larger quantities. That animal foods of the highest quality were selected for protein invariably, along with organ meats. Kids ate organ meats when they were not acculturated out of it. And that they generally tended to prefer fruit over some of the other types of foods. I think this is fascinating. So let's return to the original question, which is, isn't an animal-based diet appropriate for kids? I think it absolutely is. And I think kids should get organs, either fresh or desiccated. One strategy might be to take desiccated organ supplements like we make from hardened soil and empty it into applesauce or something else. Even a capsule or two a day will be great for your children. That's what my sister does with my niece and nephew. And they're turning out to be pretty precocious. They're cute little guys. So again, I would not try to tell anyone how to feed their children. I'll leave it to you. I will simply present my evolutionary perspective, my clinical perspective, my research perspective on the value of these foods throughout the lifespan. Obviously, a well-nourished mother, both in preconception, pregnancy, and breastfeeding is critical. Breastfeeding for as long as possible is critical. Getting children in the sun, real vitamin D exposure is critical as they would have throughout their evolution, throughout our evolution as humans. And then once they get to foods, why not give them the foods that they select? Do this experiment. Give them broccoli, give them spinach, but don't coat it with ketchup. Maybe even give it to them raw versus cooked. Compare it with fruit, compare it with meat, see what they like, see what they choose. And you'll know what your kid is going to thrive on. And I think you're gonna find that meat, organs, fresh or desiccated, fruit, are gonna be fantastic foods for your children, for you, for your family, for your mother, brother, sister, grandma, grandpa, and there will be so much fighting that will be a thing of the past at the dinner table. You won't have to force your kids to do this. In fact, I wanna write a kid's book about this in the future, so stay tuned for that. But the idea with a kid's book is if I can get, if I can get kids reading 
about a character that doesn't like to eat vegetables and laughing about it and hearing an anecdote, which has been played out thousands of times now of kids and adults who forego vegetables, who forego things like lettuce and spinach or kale, or even almonds, which are known in a study of children with urinary issues to be causing all sorts of problems, that they improve. This is playing out all the time now. We just don't know about it. And we are being told a completely different narrative by the mainstream authorities that I think leads to fighting at the dinner table, unhappy children, and unhappy parents. So here's what I would say. Don't force your kids to eat vegetables. They don't need them. Don't force your kids to eat nuts. Like I said, I've shown this in previous Controversial Thoughts videos. There's a great study. It was a case series of three children with genital urinary issues, pain, recurrent urinary tract infections, and another kidney issue that all resolved when almond products were resolved from the diet or removed from the diet. Why are we feeding kids a ton of plant seeds? Doesn't make sense. Why are we feeding adults a ton of plant seeds? Doesn't make sense. There's nothing magical in these foods that we can't get. These are survival foods. They're not our preferred foods as humans. Eat your preferred foods as humans and you thrive. It's so easy. We have access to all of these today. We are the apex hunters. We're the apex gatherers. We can get fruit and honey all the time. We can get meat and organs, either fresh and desiccated all the time. So I absolutely think that an animal-based diet is appropriate for kids and there's lots of easy ways to do it and that your kids will thrive when you do this. I wanna close by reading a review we got at Heart and Soil about whole package from Joe L. This is our desiccated supplement with testicle, which is an incredible organ to include in your diet. As an adult, he says the whole package has been just uh, that and it's a product naming. I used to take Cialis, not anymore. My wife thinks I'm Superman, LOL. It has brought us closer together as a result. Thanks Paul and your team for all you do. Your friend, Joe L. How cool is that? I think it's so amazing when people find improvements in sexual health, libido, with the things we do. Getting organs in your life, getting an animal-based diet, getting out in the sun, and your kids are gonna find improvements in their overall vitality as well if you help them understand that this is an evolutionary consistent way of eating. So hopefully that helpful. That's helpful, guys. Love you all. Stay radical.